You say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want it to be Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh wow do we have another great show for you. I have two amazing authors. I have another amazing book. It is absolutely outstanding. The book's called The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. The authors Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termel are oh so good. So good. This book, I got to tell you from a personal standpoint, this book has been a game changer for me. Uh, you know, I read a book a week for this show and I, I make no bones about it, but this one is something that I am dealing with right now in terms of redesigning a team. And, and while I am not a real remote team, we're a little bit hybrid. We do some meetings hybrid. And I know that this book is written for remote teams, hybrid teams, but this works for in office. I can just tell you now the questions that they ask you to ask yourself are so imperative and so important that if you're not asking these questions, I can already tell you that you're not you're not going to have the right culture and you're not going to build the right team. You have to you have to do what they say in this book right here because it is that powerful. Now we're going to get to them in just a second. Before we do that, let's do what we do every week, right? Uh, I walk you through. We're four part people. We're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. All right. And what we do is we just want to do this check-in every week. And we have you check in on a scale of one to 10 in each one of these areas. One being I'm awful, <laughs> 10 being I can't get any better. And and the point of it is even if you're in the awful range, all right, here's the point. If you say yeah, I'm a one, all right, it's not a judgment question. What it is, it's a, pl- it's a starting place for you to get better. Okay. So whatever your number is in each one of these areas, just remember, this is where I'm starting. This is where I get better. So for example, physical. How would you rate yourself, you know, eating right, getting enough exercise, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, doing the things that you physically should be doing on a scale of one to 10, five being average, all right? If you're two, okay, how do we get to a 2.5? If you're seven, how do you get to a 7.25? Because you know, as you go up the scale, it gets a little harder to make those changes, all right? So that's your first number, whatever that number is, all right? The second number is your mental intellectual number. We cannot sit on a couch and think that information is going to come at us and somehow we just are going to magically absorb it. We have to be an active participant in our growth and our knowledge and understanding and our wisdom and learning. By the way, a great way to be an active participant is to read a book. I would start with this one because it's a great book to read is what I would do there. But there's other things that you can do to help stimulate your knowledge, right? And, and stimulate both halves of your brain, right? I'm a psychological professional, so you know, you know, right brain's creative, left brain is logical, right? But you could do things. Take up an instrument, learn a foreign language, but get involved in a book. That is so beneficial to your to your mental growth. So on a scale of one to ten, how do you think you're doing there? Then comes the emotional area. Right? I break this down into two very simple tasks. One is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? Right? How well are you able to do that? And then secondly, How well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? By the way, what's so interesting about that is that when these authors wrote this book, I don't know if it was their intention or not, but they really do hit on the fact that if you want to build a successful team, there's this thing called psychological safety, right? But it it really is emotional safety. And what's more is that you have to be able to understand your people at all levels 
of your organization, if you're going to be successful at creating a culture and creating a team where everybody's going to have buy-in, which means that you have to understand people, not just from a physical level, not just from a mental level, but an emotional level as well. So on a scale of one to 10, how would you say you're doing? Okay, then finally, the, the fourth area is the spiritual area. And a lot of people will say, I'm not really all that spiritual. We're all spiritual. Move the physical, the mental, the emotional. What do you have left? I guarantee you've got something inside you that's still, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And we have a lot of ways that we tap into it. We talk about the spirit of the human spirit, right? But what the question is spiritually, what brings you back to center in the midst of chaos? What can bring you joy in the midst of a crazy world? Right? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it is it meditation? Is it something else? And then the question is, how's it working for you? And then what do you need to do to change it? So on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing there? Those four areas are like the air and the tires of your car. Uh, if you think about it, right, if, if one tire is a little too low, what happens? The car veers, and over the course of time, if you don't handle it, you can ruin the car. And if all four tires are low, well, you're not only going to ruin the tires, you're going to ruin the rims, you're going to ruin the car. Well, speaking of speaking of two gentlemen who have their tires all to the right height, and they're absolutely magnificent. This is it's Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termau. Uh, Kevin Eikenberry is recognized world expert on leadership development, and learning, and is the chief potential officer, which I really love that CPO of the uh, Kevin Eikenberry Group. He has spent nearly 30 years helping organizations across North America and leaders from around the world on leadership, learning, teams, teamwork, communication, and more. He's twice been named the Inc. Com as one of the top 100 leadership and management experts in the world. Uh, he's been included in many similar other lists. Uh, he's author and co-authored and contributing author to at least 20 uh, books um, that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, he, he's got a blog that is ranked among the world's best. And he's absolutely awesome, as, as Kevin Eikenberry and then Wayne Termel. Wayne is a writer, speaker, entrepreneur, living in Las Vegas, which we had a nice little chat about. He's author of nine nonfiction books, including The Long Distance Teammates, Stay Engaged, The Long Distance Leader, and the list goes on. He's also written five novels, working on number six, uh, The Count of the Sahara, uh, and uh, Acres Orphans, among many that he writes. Uh, his motto, which I found just humorous and I loved it, is those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. The rest of us are doomed too. But we get to smile smugly and say, I told you so. Uh, you can learn more, more about them. Uh, I have links to all of their stuff on the write-up of this of their, of their this show. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to A New Direction and to the show for the very first time. Uh, Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termel, welcome gentlemen to the show. Thanks, Jay. Glad to, ha- glad to be here. Wow, that's some that's some bars you set in there, brother. <laughs> I'm, I'm still listening to these introductions. I'm going, these guys better be good. <laughs> well, I've got no, I've got no worries about that. You guys are going to be great because I read your work and your work is absolutely outstanding. And so I have no misgivings about what 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 we're going to get into today because it's really a great book and. Uh, both my wife and I have, uh, we're talking about some of the questions that you wrote and we both have, we're just go, wow, yeah, we need to ask that question. We need to ask that question. I guess maybe where we should start here is because the, you know, the book's called the long distance team, designing your team for everyone's success, but maybe a great place to start is chapter one. And it's because of the question you ask right out of the gate, what is a team and why does it matter? And I, I think that's a great question because so often I think we have our own definitions for a team but I don't know that we really ask the question 
Does it matter? And I'm not even sure we really understand what a team is. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you start us off, and then we'll get Wayne's uh, Wayne's answer after that of what is a team? Why does it matter? Well, I'm not looking at the at the at the definition we wrote, Wayne. Maybe you can bone up and get the exact definition. But I will say this: that uh, you know, a, a team at some level is a group of people <laughs> that come together for a common purpose to reach a valuable outcome, right? Yeah. And and all of those team members are playing a role in making that outcome happen. While Wayne is looking up the the definition that we wrote, um, let me make a comment, Jay, about something you said at the start, which is that. You know, the book says the long distance team, somehow this is supposed to be about remote. And while everything we talk about there certainly is, I'm so glad that you said what you said because it was our goal from the beginning that everything we're gonna talk about, about designing our team, uh, intentionally creating a culture, et cetera, isn't just at a distance, but for any team. It's just that the nuances of doing it at a distance are worth thinking about as well. Yeah, I I think to your point, you know, I know that there are just there are just factors in in working with a remote team that do add some. I don't I don't know if the complications, but there's some challenges certainly that come into play when we have remote or hybrid teams that you may not have. That doesn't mean that it's impossible. I mean, you make it clear it's not impossible for that to to make it work work and work it work well. I just I just want to make sure that people understand that when they see the long distance team, we're not just talking about that. This this is just for long distance teams. I think that's for me, uh, Wayne. You've well, had I, I think Jay. That's part of our philosophy since we wrote the first book in the series, Long Distance Leader. I mean, rule number one in that book is think leadership first, location second. Mm, mm, yeah. And one of the things that runs through all of our work is that. If you stop and think about what you're doing as a leader, mm. I'll bet you're doing the right stuff. Right, 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 right. As you said, the nuances are different, right? How right. do you coach people? Uh, how do you, some of those things are different, but you still have to coach people. You right. still have to set the vision. You still right. have to manage performance. You have to do all of that stuff. Just, it's not so much what we do, as how we do it. Right, right. That's where the difference lies. By the way, I do have the definition in front of me here. So I just to so not, does Wayne now too, I think. <laughs> just to not leave. Kevin actually did very well. He I'm did, he did actually, he did. Well, I mean, he, we did write it. But yeah, he did great. I repeat it. Yeah. I was afraid I'd, you know, since uh, everybody, we told Jay that he's read the book since we have, and I'm just <laughs> that I'd leave out something that he really wanted to hit on. That's all, so. No, so, I mean, I'll just read it. It, it, What you wrote is a group of people working together, which you hit, to achieve their common goals, which you hit, through an intentional culture, positive energy, collaboration, innovation, and human connection. That's And that's what you Yeah, so that's what we hope, right? A great team would have all of those things. The the second half of that um, is what we're here to talk about, right? Right. Well, but I I think, Jay, you said something... Mm -hmm earlier and i can't remember if it was while the camera was rolling Um, (laughs) but it did come out of your face which is the the notion of you know some people are thinking about it on one level thinking about it on another i mean at it's very basic level you know we often think of a team as everybody reports to a manager right right so kevin's team has people on it what we are trying to do is help leaders understand at a little higher level and then 
they can help their people. You know, you know, we talk all the time about the difference between a team member and a teammate. Right. That, yeah, technically they're the same thing, but we know that there's an emotional, social, psychological, spiritual connection. Sure. That is above and beyond just, you know, the basic definition. Well, and I think this is where chapter two and three come in, you know, culture and, you know, establishing the ownership of the culture in chapter three. You at, you both ask the question, who owns the culture, right? And you do you do start off with saying senior leadership owns the culture, but at at the very heart of it, don't we all own the culture? Yeah. So, I mean, really, let, let's start here. Um, what is culture? Everyone's throwing that word around, and, and since the pandemic, people talk about it even more. Um, in some cases, like, how can we get the culture back? Right. Well, you still have one, right? right, uh, right. It may be different, but you still have one. Culture is simply the way we do things around here. Right. That's all it is. Right. And so we have we have a macro culture, the organizational one, uh, and then you have the one for the team that you're on, which we would call a micro culture. And so senior leaders certainly have ownership of thinking about that at the highest macro level of culture. But if 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 it is the way we do things around here, we're all in the we. Right. So everyone's a part of it. Everyone helps create it, right. and everyone is supporting it. And anyone can therefore start to change it. I, I think one of the things that you point out in chapter three that really kind of stuck out to me, and I was thinking of Dr. Peter Drucker, you know, who talked about teams, you know, forming, storming, norming, performing. And I don't think we think about this, but that every time we bring a new person onto the team, we affect the culture. Absolutely. There's a new variable right. that comes into it. And, you know, there are a couple of di- the good news is every time somebody comes in, it's a chance to change the culture. Right? It's right. a chance to improve it. It's a chance to make it better in some way. It's certainly going to be different. What happens is a lot of teams kind of take that as a warning and start hiring for cultural fit. Right, right. Well, I which think, is its own set of problems. Right. Well, yeah. And then there's there's two things that kind of come out of that because what you said, Kevin, started to hit me when I, you know, this just in, and that is, you know, from a macro cultural level, maybe one person doesn't change the one additional person doesn't change the macro culture as much, but certainly from the micro culture, which is inside the macro culture. Now that one person can really alter the culture of the team. And, and so then that makes us, as you say, we're now even more responsible for our behavior in terms of the culture or maintaining that culture. That, do I got that right? So let me give you an example uh, that I think everyone here will recognize. I mean, everyone who's listening to us, watching us will understand. And that is you, you someone leaves you know, you either create a new position or someone leaves, a new person joins us. And that when that new person joins us, a lot of times leaders are saying, well, I want to make sure that I get them connected up with people who are supporting the culture we want. Like, I don't want them hanging out with the naysayer. I don't want them hanging out with the cynic because what I want to do is be shifting and moving us in a, in a direction more positive, more, more proactive, more accountable, not the other direction, right? So, I mean, we all recognize that as an example of, 
uh, of the fact that everyone is is an adjustment and has a chance gives us a new chance to uh, reaffirm or adjust tweak the culture in mm-hmm. in guys i'm gonna jump i'm gonna have you both decide who wants to take this first i, I don't i don't have a preference here but one of the things in chapter five, because this, this is a theme that runs throughout the entire design of designing a team, uh, whether remote, hybrid, or even in the office, is this 3C model for team and cultural design. And I found this 3C model to be absolutely imperative because I'm not sure that we're intentional enough to think about how it works. And the three C's, of course, are communication, uh, collaboration, and cohesion. So, uh, Wayne, would you like to start and kind of help us understand the importance of these three C's as kind of like a foundational building block before we even design a culture? Well, Kevin said very matter-of-factly, right? Culture is this is how we do things here. Right. And that's true as far as that goes, right? That's a nice, catchy little phrase. The question becomes, what things? (laughs) What are the things that we do to create the culture let me give you i was uh talking to a bank in kansas city last year and the ceo gets up and he's very proud about the fact we've weathered every storm since the 1930s because we don't take foolish risks Mm. we take common sense approach and then 20 minutes later he says we're looking for new people to join the team who are innovative and think out of the box and huh and nobody else in the room seemed bothered by this, right, right? Right. And I said to him, I said, you don't think that's a little bit of a contradiction there? Hmm. But that's what happens when you, you look at what are the things you're asking people to do right. that result in your culture. And after a lot of discussion, and as is usually the case, Kevin and I hammer this around forever, and then it comes to us in kind of a blazing flash of the obvious, we kind of figured out there are three areas that if you can define that, we'll tell you what your culture is, right? The first is communication. How do we communicate uh, on remote and hybrid teams? The technology uses part of that. Do you use webcams or do you not? That impacts your culture. Do you break news to the people in the office first and then run it out to the rest of the organization or does everybody get the news at the same time? That is a feature of your culture, right? Right. Is there a difference between the people in the office? So communication is the first one. Collaboration is maybe the most important when you're really trying to define your team because that's how does the work get done? Mm. And as we're in this phase where we're trying to figure out, do we go remote? Do we drag everybody back to the office? Do we reach some kind of hybrid model? This is the one that is maybe the most important. How does work actually get done? How do we make decisions? How do we decide how we're going to do things and brainstorm and and connect? And then finally, cohesion, which is how do we want to work with each other and form relationships? And what kind of relationships do we want? And so all the other questions that we ask in the book fall into, well, most of them can be asked in each of these categories, but the answers are going to be very different depending on who you are, right? Right. If you're a very conservative bank in the Midwest, 
your answers are going to be very different than if you're a gunslinging software company. <laughs> right. So we're not going to tell you what your company right. should look like. Right. Right. But we can help you understand what it is now and what it could be. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that Wayne just made. And that is that there are a lot of books that have been written, good books by smart people uh, with great intention and with good information that says, yeah, this is the culture you need to do this, or this is really the culture where you sh you should aspire to. And I think the intention of all that is good. And I think a lot of there's a lot. And I've read a number of bo those books. I've, I've I've interviewed some of those folks, and on the other side of the mic. And, and but our approach is different. Our approach is not to say here is the culture that you should have, but rather here are the questions you should ask so that you can create the culture that you want. What we would call the aspirational culture. Right. And and while I would guess and the work that we've done with clients would say that there are some of those things that would be common and that I could probably give you a list of things. Hey, it probably ought to include something along this line and this line and this line. That's not our goal. Our goal is for you to decide what it is based on what you want, what your folks want, where do, where do they want to work and get great, great results? What do they want that to look like, feel like? What, what do they want the cohesion to look like, the level of trust? emotional, psychological safety, et cetera, uh, and, and rather to give you a process to create it rather than us prescribing it to, to you. That's beautiful. Uh, the authors, uh, Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termel, the, the book entitled Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. We're going to get into some design right after this. You're listening to them here on a new direction. Hey folks, whether you're recovering from an injury, surgery, suffering everyday aches and pains, having difficulty performing uh, daily activities, maybe you're a professional athlete uh, that just wants to improve how you move and feel. Listen, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will design a customized treatment program for your individual needs. So when you're looking for your Epic relief, your Epic recovery, your Epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C. PT.com and Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years. They've been helping people with life transition. You say, whoa, wait a minute, Jay. I thought they were a real estate company. They are, but think about it. Every place that you have ever lived or moved into has been a transition in your life. And you know what? They've helped thousands of people and they can help you make that a smooth, stress-free way of transitioning than, than you probably even know can be possible. So when you're ready to sell or buy your next home and make that next life transition, start with Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction uh, with Wayne Eikenberry and Wayne Termel. The book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, uh, available. By the way, it's also available in Audible. Uh, as well. And uh, so make sure you check that out. Um, you can go to Audible and get your Audible copy, but um, absolutely fabulous book. Uh, the questions that they ask, um, I could do a whole show. I could do several shows on just the questions. Um, they are so. You told us we're going to be here until Tuesday. Yeah. So Tuesday. I... <laughs> I told him that with the amount of notes I have, we'll be here until Tuesday. I literally could. But these questions are so in depth. Um, that you should be asking, and they're so thought-provoking. And it really, you know, I'm, I'm writing in my Amazon five-star review of this book that, you know, this is a book that is not just a guide. It is a tool, a practical toolkit to help you design or redesign an existing team 
and uh, it's it really is a practical guide. The questions are powerful. Um, I really suggest that you take a, you really need to get a copy of this. I'm just telling you, it's going to be helpful for you. All right, guys. So let's, uh, let's go into the next part of this. And I want to jump into designing the team and which is uh, matter of fact, I should let people know that you've divided the book up into parts. And then in each part we have uh, certain sections in the chapters. So chapter six is designing the team and uh, your process for laying out the design of your team, you, you give us three basic building blocks. Think big picture, apply the design considerations, and then finalize the team design based on your situation, which you've kind of already touched on, Kevin. So l- let's talk about when we think about when we're outlaying this plan to design our team, when you say think big picture, what do you want us to be doing there as we're working on our design? Uh, start with you, Wayne. Well, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, that's, you know, it. Kevin uses right. the phrase a lot, aspirational culture. Right. What is it that you want to be? Okay. And some of that might include what are you now? But there's always, yeah, that's what we are now. Is that what we want to be? Can we be better in certain areas? So you need to think big picture. What is it that we want to be when we grow up? And then you can get to where are we now? Right. Right. And then identify the gaps, if there are any. Right. Um, and, And especially, and I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Kevin can get me back on course here. You know, if you're starting a team from scratch, these questions are really important. And that's why we presented it this way. But most of the people listening to this are going to be thinking about their team and the boat's already in the water. Right. (laughs) So so you need to be really honest about the big picture. What is it that we want to have happen? And then right on the heels of that is, where are we now? And maybe the most important question in the book looks like a tagline or just looks like an add-on to the other questions, but it's, how do you know? Mm. Mm. You know, this, you know, we think we are this kind of company. How do you know? What tells you that? Right. That's a great question. You know, a, a really common thing, and then Kevin can save me from myself. A really common thing is car agencies. I used to work for a very small mom and pop uh, car dealership. We're family. We're all in this together. But you walk into the office and everybody's name is on the board and their sales numbers are all there. And if you don't hit your mark, you're in trouble, right? If I miss my mark, Bob is fine. Well, how does that lead to a behavior that feels like a family? How do you create a family culture when it's every person for themselves? Right. Because now you're well, waiting. Some people's yeah. families are like that, uh, but that's not necessarily. <laughs> you know, when people say the business is like a family, I always be very careful what you ask for. Yeah, Because you're not going to fire your family for underperformance. Right. I mean, who does that? Who, who disowns a family member because they underperformed? Well, allow me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so Jay, uh, you're saying 
you know, we're, we're talking about designing our team or, or right. to Wayne's point, redesigning our team. And one of the questions we ask at the beginning of that chapter, or, or there's a short section um, that relates to a question that I ask leaders often. And so I'm going to ask all of you that are watching us now this question. Are, do you want compliance or do you want commitment? Right. And so your actual answer to that question has a lot to do with what you need to design in your team. I, I could sit here for a long time and help you understand why you the, the right answer is commitment and not compliance. But if you're, if the way your organization has functioned, if the way you want it to function is one of pretty much compliance, um, then that's going to impact how the team is designed, right? So when you start talking about big picture, those are some of those big picture questions. Like, who, as Wayne said, who do you, who do we really want to be? What do we really want to look like? There's not a right, there's not a single right answer. And so you've got to figure that out before you start designing a team. Most people want to start to say, well, we've got this much work, we need four people. And they start thinking about it like a, like a, uh, we got a boss, you know, looks like a, looks like a, uh, what do you call this? The flow chart <laughs> yeah. becomes an org chart. It's, exactly, an org chart. Thank you. Chart. I, all I could think of was flow chart. It wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> so it just, we start to think of an org chart. Right. And and what we're saying is you got to think differently than that. It's not just how many bodies, but how, but again, three C's. How how do we want that team to communicate with each other up and down and across? How do we want that team to collaborate? Does it require that they be synchronous at the same time? Mm -hmm. Are we going to have everyone sitting in an office but not having meetings? Uh, are we having a lot of meetings, not many meetings? Like what does collaboration look like for us? And then what's the level of cohesion that we want? What, what are the right. what's the level of trust? What's the level of relationship what are the as Wayne said what are the kind of relationships we want so like starting there big right. is a great place to begin well I, I want to touch back on the commitment versus compliance aspect because uh it, it's where I was headed and the the issue I have and you say this so eloquently um in the book is when we comply we often put just enough effort to achieve the goal sometimes it's done grudgingly and I think this is the problem is that sometimes we decide that we're going to force compliance, but then we really don't get commitment and commitment is so much, we, we, we have to have commitment. And, and if we don't, then you have a bunch of people who have resentment because they've just complied and now you're not getting the productivity. Have I, do, do I got that wrong? Right now, as we're talking about returning to office, right? And mm. people are saying, no, get your butts into the office. Mm. And they're meeting resent, resentment and resistance and, and all of this stuff. And it's not that people don't, if you ask most people, you know, yeah, I probably need to go into the office. Maybe I even need to go in the office more than I want to. But when I'm told this is what's happening, mm. there's a natural kind of pullback. I mean, one of the most powerful things, and... You know, I wish Kevin had thought of this before the book went to print because it's one of the most powerful things that has spilled out of his head in a very long time. I just wrote about it again this week. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, is you could diffuse a lot of that resentment and kind of knee-jerk resistance if you just think pilot instead of policy. Mm. Right? If you create a policy, this is what's going to happen. We want to have this culture, right. so this is the policy. And people aren't consulted, they're not given a chance to contribute or put in, they're just told this is how it is. Mm. 
okay, you know, comply, right? right? If you're allowed to actually be part of it. And the reason that the word pilot is so important is it leaves the door open. It doesn't say this is how it is and how it will be forever. Stamp, stamp, no erases, get with the program. A pilot says, we think this is going to work. Let's try this. Right. And give it a chance. And if it doesn't work, we can tweak it and we can revisit it. And you're not locked into this for time eternal. It right. just makes such a difference right. when you're trying to get people to commit versus comply. Right. Yeah. No, and, and it makes if sense. everyone is a part of the culture, which is where we started. Here, right. Then uh, if we don't give everyone a say, now, if we've got a really big organization, we've got a lot of a lot of things you got to figure out about how to how to people give people a chance to have a say or have input, et cetera. But if people don't feel like this is theirs, then there's much more likely to push back. Like I ask people this, teaching leaders about change management all the time. I ask people this question, so I'll just ask all of you this question. Think of a change. Think of think of change changes in your life that you resisted. Think of changes that you accepted, and then tell me what's different. And the first thing everyone always tells me that's different is, well, the ones that I accepted, I had some input in. The ones that I resisted were the ones that were thrust upon me, pushed upon me, and someone said, you got to change. Well, we immediately go, whoa, pump the brakes here, right. right? As opposed to, man, I may not love everything about this. I may not have been the one to suggest we do this, but I know that my voice was heard in this process, even if what we're doing isn't exactly what I'd have done. Right. If I feel like I had something to say about it, mm -hmm. then I, it's much more likely that I will be committed. And JD, your point earlier, if I feel committed, if we feel committed, we're, we're in a very different place than if we're just doing the job. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to comply. Like if you're a leader and you've had folks on your team that like they're doing what they were told and nothing more, if that's all you want, there's a whole lot more you could get. I'll just leave well, it. Well, I've said for a long time, the difference between change and innovation is when it's innovation, it's your idea. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. When somebody else imposes a change on you, right that becomes a very different thing. Innovation is exciting and optimistic and possible and all of that stuff. We have a term in psychology uh, called psychological reactance. And basically it, it means that whenever we feel that our freedom is threatened, then what we do is we will go the opposite way. A simple example is the sign on a park bench that says wet paint, do not touch. Right? What does everybody do? Right? The psychological reaction yeah. is to touch it. And I'm, I'm noticing here in remote work, we're having more and more companies saying, we want you to come back into the office, come back into office. And I am witnessing firsthand, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that you guys, you're in this industry, are seeing also that there's this great psychological reactance of going, you're taking away my freedom. You're taking away my freedom. You're taking away my freedom. And so people are willing to go, you know what? I'll find a job that's more remote. I, I don't have to stay here anymore. And they're willing to give up. You know, they're willing to give up whatever to maintain their own freedom. And I, I don't think we talk about psychological reactance a lot, but it, it's it's really in existence now, more so well, than... Well, there are a lot of things that are tied into that. And, and trust me, I would 
grab the proper beverage and geek out about this for a really, really long time. With you. Uh, because I think, but there are a lot of things that we're going through right now. I mean, the endowment effect, the notion that people resist having things taken away yes. more than they go for the chance of going for it. Proximity bias. Yes. Where, you know, that impacts the people in the office intentionally or unintentionally gain an advantage by being in the office and therefore we're excluding and punishing the people who don't come into the office. I mean, there are half a dozen oh, at least. big psychological factors yeah. involved in creating and especially in changing a culture. Well, and I think that's why you talk about co-creating your dream design. And you both start off by saying, you know, we suggest you start this exercise by bringing the team together with a blank sheet of paper and an optimistic mindset. And then what you're going to try to do is create a vision of the team. And you're going to, you have some components that you suggest that we work on the purpose of the work, the nature of the work, the walls that are required, the location and time the work is to be done, the tools, the processes, the need, the needed skills and knowledge. I think the idea though, that you're talking about, and then of course the three C's, the question becomes is that it's a co it needs to be a co-created design. So Kevin, speak to the co-creation part and helping us get together on that. Because I think sometimes leaders feel that it the responsibility is solely shouldered on them and then they don't invite other levels of the organization into this co-creation design. I think that uh, for many leaders, they they do feel this heavy weight of responsibility, this sense that I'm supposed to have the answers, mm -hmm. like it's my job to figure this out and then come down from the mountain and hand it to you all. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I, I mean, I think there are some people that take that approach from a, a very egocentric, power-driven perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think many more come at it, Jay, as you suggested, like they think that's what they're supposed to do. Now, oh, by the way, whether you think you're supposed to or you're doing it because of ego, your team sees it as being about ego. Right. So be very clear about that. Right. Uh, and, and so we've already talked about the fact that if if it's thrust on us, we at a minimum are going to go, I'm not so sure I need to think this through. Right. right. Um, at a minimum. And so, you know, what we really have to do as leaders as leaders is to recognize we don't have to do it all by ourselves. And in fact, if we try to, it will likely have unintended consequences. So co-creation is simply about uh, figuring out a way to bring everyone for everyone's voice to be heard. Wayne, go ahead. Well, I, I, just something you said, and this just occurred to me, so it may or may not make as much sense as I think it does. Um, especially if I think about the people watching and listening to this show, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. Yes. Consultants. Yes. They started as single people or, or very small. I mean, Kevin started as Kevin Barry and, you know, Eikenberry and Associates. And there were no associates. We know that when you get somebody's business card and it says so-and-so and associates, you know they're a lone right. wolf. Um, but as Kevin starts, but the first couple of people that Kevin hired are going to be an extremely close fit. Right. To what his vision is. Right. Right. But the more people you bring in until eventually he hires me, you know, who is very, while very much aligned, very different from Kevin, the minute you bring Wayne into the shop, mm. 
the culture is noticeably different. Things are going to noticeably change. Right. Um, and, and for a lot of entrepreneurs, they're stuck in the same mindset. And, and their staff is stuck with, oh, this was Jay's vision. This is Jay's company. Right. You know, he has the say so. Right. Yeah. So let me say something to that. And, and, and here we are, Jay, taking over your show. Uh, let me let me say this. <laughs> I'm not unhappy about that, by the way. Stop. I have had well anything to make less work for you. Right. <laughs> so um, I have had this conversation with CEOs, not just Wayne's exactly right. Uh, founders, entrepreneurs, et cetera. But I've had this conversation with CEOs. I had a CEO that wanted us to come in. He said, well, you come in and help us create a new culture. And I said, yep. But the first thing is, Steve, it can't be your culture. Mm. It's got to be their culture. Mm. Now, what you can do is raise the question, right? And, and you need to be a part of this conversation. But this, if they see it as yours, it ain't going to work. Right. right. It's exactly right. So he has to doesn't. And so it doesn't have to be as a founder. So if you're listening as a consultant and you're working with other leaders, you have to help them see that they have to step back because, again, unintended consequences. If we talk about it as we got a new CEO and he wants a new culture or she wants a new culture, then we're never going to get where we really want to go. Right. Because it's not ours. Ours. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, their names are Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termel. The book is titled The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. Absolutely outstanding. We got a little bit more to go. Stay with us. You're listening to them here on A New Direction. Hey, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, I think they should be yours too, by the way. Their facility offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, and the Game Ready, my favorite. That's ice and compression all at the same time. That, that's just to name a few. Listen, they're certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments. Things like blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping, and that's just a few. So when you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, your epic results, don't look any further. Go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors for more than 38 years. Their clients call them the legends of customer service. In fact, her first client from 1985 still comes to see her today. Why does she have that kind of loyalty? It's because, you know what, she really is, does understand how how to transition in life through real estate. So listen, when you're ready to make your next life transition and you want to work with the legends of customer real, of, of real estate, go to nowhere else but the Linda Craft Team Realtors. That's lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with my friends, uh, Kevin Eikenberry and Wayne Termel. And hopefully I could call you guys friends because I'm, I'm certainly uh, I'm in, enjoying you both and and. I uh, want to get to know you better. Um, I do Until want... proven otherwise, we will do the same. <laughs> I didn't say family, Wayne, but I did say friends. Uh, okay, so uh, listen, I just want to let the listeners know that th- th- there are a ton of questions that we could not possibly all ask in this because the, the book is filled with questions. But if you want to know what these right questions are to ask, if you go to, here's a web address, so get ready to write this down. Unless you're listening to us on a podcast and you're driving in your car, then don't write this down now. But I will also have this link available on the show notes uh, for this, and that is longdistanceteambook.com. That's longdistanceteambook.com forward slash questions. And they have the questions right there for you that you should be asking as you're designing or redesigning your team. Uh, they're, they're, I'm just telling you, this book is outstanding. 
Um, I can't say it enough. If you're trying to design a culture, you're redesigning culture. I can't, I can't say it enough. You really need to get get the book, and you need to really do the questions because it's going to make a tremendous change. Um, so one of the things that Wayne and, and and Kevin that you ask is how to make the process of success. And so what do these initial designs look like? And one of the things that you say right out of the gate is as a leader, you must lead without being the boss. And you kind of alluded to that, Kevin. And it might even be better to have someone outside of the team to facilitate that conversation. Uh, Kevin, talk about that a little bit more. Let's pull that out a little bit, little bit more there so that people can get a clear understanding of that. Well, since you used the word facilitate, like everyone know, if you're watching, you know what this button is, it's <laughs> yes, easy do. button, right? right? Except this one doesn't say easy on it. It says facile. Ah. So the word facilitate, so the word facile is French and Spanish, as far as I can, yeah, I know, uh, for easy. So to facilitate something is to make it easier. So right. um, the process we're talking about, especially if your team is larger, and especially if you're going to bring a group of people together that are representing the larger organization, um, as the leader, first of all, you need to be playing an active role in this. And if you're in front, sort of leading the conversation, uh, all of your whispers sound like shouts to the team, right? You need to be on that team, not leading that meeting. And so, uh, and, and to have someone else that can sort of work you through the process. So that's to facilitate something is to focus on the process of doing it to get to the outcome. So uh, if you have a larger team or a larger organization and you're trying to think that some of this through, I would encourage you to have someone else help you. Certainly we could do that, but someone that can help you from a process perspective at, it, for two reasons. One is so that you can participate as the leader and so that you don't end up dominating mm. intentionally or not. Yeah. I, and I think it's really important what Kevin said there about uh, intentionally or not. One of the things as the leader that we forget is there is an inherent power balance, mm, mm, mm. which depending on your relationship with the people and whatever can be ginormous or subtle, but there is always a power dis mm. difference, right? A lot of times when we have conversations internally, the biggest objection we have to something is Kevin is going to hate this. <laughs> right. And, and Kevin is not some ogre. I mean, he's very good at this, right. And he's very good about putting his ego aside and, and strength. But if you're talking about what kind of organization are we going to be? And you know, the, the vision statement on the wall says we are this, but we're not really. Those are hard conversations to have right. when the guy who put that statement up on the wall is sitting in the room, mm -hmm. especially if he's standing at the flip chart with the, you know, the, the pen in his hand. Right. Yeah. Right. You're not going to have the kind of conversations. Right. I, I do that like you need to have. I do like the fact that he just kind of threw you under the bus there, Kevin. I just wanted to say that that was it's kind not of not the first time. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, you talk about four things that must be included in conversations as you create your collective design. The first is clear expectations for the process and outcome. And you do spend quite a bit of time, actually. You spend chapter uh, talking about expectations and clear expectations. Kevin, help us understand when we're trying to set these expectations, what are we trying to do here? Well, so let's step back at, before we talk about just in designing a team, let's just talk about expectations in general, right? Like if you're, if you've got a team member 
who right now you're thinking, I got this one person, like they just don't quite get it. Like, I wish I could figure out how to fix this person that I've got. Mm. I would challenge you to say, okay, do they know what you expect of them? Because if they don't know what they ex you expect, how can they possibly deliver? Right. Like, so all expectations are is a description of success. And so as so that's a general statement. Now, if we take it to how we're going to design a team, what are the expectations of all the people that are going to be co-creating this process? What are the expectations of the process? What's it going to look like when we uh, like what when do we know we've successfully completed it? Like people just need to know what they expect. You mentioned forming, storming, norming, and performing a few minutes ago, Jay. And one of the ways to help a team get past forming is to have super clear expectations right. or definitions of success. And so it's really important that we figure that out. Um, and that's one of the roles of the leader to prop, perhaps to set some of those parameters or at least the guidelines that we can further clarify as a, as a larger team. Wayne, Wayne, the second one is called psychological safety, and there's been a lot written on psychological safety. I, I've interviewed uh, numerous authors on the issue of psychological safety. Talk about it in terms of as we do this collective design. <sighs> psychological safety, there's a bunch of components to this, um, but as it relates specifically to the design, if you're going to have these conversations, these are hard conversations to have. They're hard conversations like we already talked about. There's an inherent power dynamic. There's the people that have been here a long time versus the newbies. We're having a lot of these conversations right now because during COVID, you know, people went home and, and a lot of people maintained the relationships they've always had. But there are new people coming in. How do we welcome them? How do we train them? How much voice do they have in what things are going to be like? Right. Uh, one of the things that research is starting to show is in many ways, meetings are better when people aren't in the same room because Bob's not sitting across the table glaring at you. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and if I open my mouth, I got to deal with right. Bob for the next whatever. <laughs> right. You know how he is. So psychological <laughs> safety is the ability to express thoughts, emotions, that sort of thing without undue repercussions. Right. I mean, there's the basic social niceties, right? If right. you say something stupid to somebody, there's probably a penalty to be paid for right. that, right. as there should be. But if I want to say, I don't think this is working, or I have a different idea, I should be able to say that and not fear for my job fear that there are going to be repercussions and blowback, uh, that Bob is going to make my life miserable for the next six weeks. I'm going to ask you as we run, uh, running out of time here, uh, Kevin, equitable airtime, um, help us understand that as being part of the four things that must be included in conversations as you create your collective design. Well, there's two things we've got. We, all of us uh, range on a scale of, extroverted to introverted, right? So some people are gonna naturally think out loud and others are going to think before they speak. So we've gotta make sure that we're giving everyone equ an equitable chance for their ideas to be heard and shared. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody speaks for one minute if we've got eight people in eight minutes, but what it does mean is that everyone knows that they have time and space to get in 
And so that may mean another reason for our facilitator to help manage that so that everyone gets a chance for their ideas to be heard. And it may mean that not everything happens synchronously. Right. Some people are very good on their feet and they, and, and they generate excitement and ideas and it drives them. Others actually want time to think and formulate their thoughts and, and be very precise in how they express them. And maybe in a meeting with Wayne getting all hyper and crazy is not the best way to get that person's best thinking. That's beautiful. Uh, gentlemen, we've done, we've done our hour. Uh, you guys have been great. Um, I really enjoyed our time together. I hope you've enjoyed as much as I have. Uh, Kim, I'm going to start with you. Tell people how they can get a hold of you. Well, the easiest way, I mean, obviously you already mentioned the, the site for the book, longdistanceteambook.com, but you can certainly go to kevineikenberry.com, K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. That's our company site. You can learn more about Wayne and I, all of our products and services there. You can certainly follow, go, go find, find, find and follow either of us on LinkedIn as well. And Wayne, how about you? How do we get a hold of you? Uh, same deal, man. Uh, the Kevin Eikenberry group, you know, KevinEikenberry.com is kind of the hub okay. for everything that we do. Certainly, we are both incredibly open to connecting on LinkedIn. We love connecting with people. Um, that's probably the most straightforward way. And if anybody wants to continue this conversation, <laughs> those connect with us or just our name at KevinEikenberry.com. Wayne and Kevin Eikenberry, Kevin and Kevin Eikenberry. You can reach us that way directly. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you. Stay with me. Uh, folks, that's the show. You know what I say to you? You're in control of three things at all times in your life. And that is your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. I know that things can be tough. I understand that. But you know what? You can still control your attitude. You can just still control your excellence. That's your effort. And you know what? We all get punched in the mouth now and then. But you have control of getting back up again. Take control of those three things because that's within your power at all times. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest or two and another great book, which means it's going to be another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you had a lot of choices. You chose us. Thank you. Give us a positive review. As I say to you all over the world, ciao. You can find the strength to go a different way. Yeah. The time has come. Your dreams will take you places you have never been before find your passion find your strength don't worry anymore a new direction